Hi everyone, this is Steven Charles, CEO of LS Cream. In today's episode of The Bridge Podcast, we have with us Donny Burston. Donny is the CEO of La Fête Rosé, which is a rosé wine, and he's also an industry veteran of 15 years. Donny and I tackle various subjects. More specifically, we talk about diversity and inclusion within the spirits industry. Now, I would like to apologize because there's a bit of echo at the beginning of the episode, but not to worry, it doesn't last for you long. I would like to thank you for all the feedback and also keep on sharing with your friends and enjoy the show. Thank you. So, Donne, thank you so much for doing this, eh? No problem. Thank you no for problem. Having thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, okay, so what I'm going to do is uh, we're first going to start by simply uh, introducing yourself and we'll, we'll, we'll get the conversation started from there. So, let the people know where you're from, uh, what you do, and uh, that's it. Then we'll, we'll, we'll start like that. All right, cool. Sounds good. All right, cool. Sounds good. Yep. Uh, my name is Donnie. Uh, my name is Donnie Burson. I am the founder and CEO of Lafette Rose. I love saying that name. I love it. Yeah, so I mean, I started Lafette Rose about a year ago. So we're approaching our one year anniversary. Thank you for having us to talk about the African diaspora between Canada, Rest, etc. So, so, so what I'm interested in is, is uh, because we've talked prior, and uh, so basically you're the CEO of this, of this, of this rosé, of this wine, basically, and, but um, I would like us to go more into the details of uh, basically how you started in the liquor business, yep. you know, yep. how, uh, how you ended up in, the, uh, in there, and maybe you, I'll quarterback and ask you some questions while you're t- telling the story, but I think you have an interesting story about where you come from and why you're here right now, you know? Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, you, want uh, you want me to kick it off? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I started. So, um, yeah, I started in the business in 2003. Hold on a second. 2003. Hold on a second. I think you got some feedback. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Are you okay? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Me, I but it's really hard here. <laughs> Sounds good. Same here. Sounds good. Same here. Uh, yes, I started uh, in the business yes, scene back, back in 2003. At the time, I was a low-level ambassador for U.S. Concepts, which at the time was the agency for Lower Hennessy USA. Uh, my job was primarily to expose and uh, bring the culture into the Hennessy Cognac portfolio with a little bit of um, work on Moet de Chandon as well, but primarily focused on the African-American consumer in the city of Atlanta. Perfect, yeah. And then from there, you know, I did that for a number of years, left and went to New York to work on, at Heineken, working on uh, the promotion and sponsorship activations for the African-American consumer. The biggest project at the time was the Heineken Red Star Soul, which saw artists from everyone from Erica Badu to Common even uh, Kanye uh, participated in some of the events and activations. Ran into an old boss uh, at Kanye West's actual birthday party at the Louis Vuitton store on Fifth Avenue, who was now the new CEO of Martin's USA. He asked me a simple question, what do we have to do to get you to come back? Um, the answer was nothing, let's go. <laughs> so he said, there's an opportunity for you uh, in Miami, Florida, working again on Hennessy Kanye, would you be interested? And the answer was quickly a yes. 
um, who can turn down life in Miami and working for LVMH at the same time. Um, so that was my journey into the liquor industry. Um, I started out as an IT consultant fresh out of college, but I knew very soon that I didn't want to do that long term. So, you know, doing the segue over into the alcohol and beverage industry was, was perfect for me. It gave me the best of both worlds. I can go out and party, go to all the clubs, et cetera. But it also put me in the industry uh, that had that foot in the entertainment industry as well as the business world. So that's how it all started. Perfect. Perfect. So, uh, so you, I remember you telling me that you realized something in that industry and I said it enough times. So the people that really follow me, they know. So what is the, what is the thing that you realize, uh, quote unquote, working in this industry, making money in this industry was the first thing that comes to you, to, to, to your eyes when you're, when you're in there? Uh, that there was no ownership uh, by people of color, primarily African-Americans. Uh, that was the biggest takeaway that I saw. Um, and until we really got later, many years down the road with uh, Puff and Ciroc and even Jay with Ducey and, and those brands, there were very few African-American-owned brands uh, in the marketplace. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but for some reason we weren't getting a share of the ownership percentage or ownership part of it. We were a large part of the consumer base, but we didn't have any ownership. So that was what I realized very quickly. Um, it took it still a number of years and a number of, uh, you know, job positions for me to realize that I also wanted to actually own a brand, but I realized very early on that we were not in the ownership positions. And that primarily came from being in the corporate side where we couldn't even make the decisions uh, that were targeted towards our consumer base. So I, I realized there was a void because the ownership ultimately had the control and the say and how the directive of marketing initiatives were positioned towards people of color. For sure, 100%, 100%. So, so this is why I wanted to us to talk because I've, I keep, I, I can't stress enough to, that people know that it's okay for you to, uh, because you vote with your dollar, right? You know, Absolutely. so, so for me, um, if I'm shopping around and I see a rosé and it's La Fête Rosé, uh, and I know about you that you don't need, I don't need to know anything else, you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> That's the it's idea. coming That's in the, the park. Yeah, but it's coming in the cart because I'm not, I don't feel that we need to uh, explain more than that, you know, because that's the thing with liquor, right? The thing with liquor is that it's so hard to get into that business yeah. that um, I don't have really time. I mean, we can discuss, we can discuss why this one is better than the other one. We can, you know, but, but it's so hard. If you're here, you're here. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, legally. Right. You know, because for us, yeah, because because for us, you know, like, uh, you know, LS is inspired by cremas. Cremas is something that is homemade. So we basically just took the taste yeah. and put it in the form of a cream liqueur. Right. That's it. Right. You know, but there's still people comparing and saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, my mom makes it and, and this and that. And no, this is not the goal. Right. This I'm not here to be compared in that way. My competition is Bailey's. Correct. Your competition is all the other roses. What's the what's the main rosé? The, the the best selling rosé in the U.S. The number one selling U.S. Uh, rosé in the U.S. is uh, Whispering Angel. Uh, okay. We started about. I don't seven, even know it. You, excuse me. I don't even know it. Yeah. I don't even <laughs> heard about. It. I mean, it's it's the category leader. And listen, I mean, one thing I will say in terms of that is they opened up the category and introduced the American consumer to rosé, so to speak. So we're very appreciative of that. But to your point. Uh, we make a very comparable, if not better, product 
um, we believe, and we've also been told by a lot of other people who know wine as well. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. When there's two options, and one is minority-owned as people of color, it should be given a, a valuable chance and should be purchased um, just because, so to speak, because it is so very hard to start a business, and especially in the liquor industry as well. Um, so, you know, I, I run into that challenge a lot of times very much. So I, I tell people, you can drink whatever you want, but I ask that if you're going to put anything on social media and promote it, pro give us a chance. Give us that, mm -hmm. that, that time. Give us those eyes because the other brands already have it. They have machines behind them. They, they have large conglomerates mm -hmm. behind them. Um, and we do ourselves as a disservice to the people when we don't put the light on some businesses that are just as good, if not better. Now, I'm be the first one to tell you, if it's not good, or it sucks, or it's a superior product, I'm not going to just give it light just because it's minority-owned. But if we know for sure, and it's yeah, for sure. Effect, and same with LS, that these are quality products produced with love and attention and are marketed and owned by people of color, then there is a duty uh, for us to, to give that brand some light uh, in the marketplace, or even a purchase. One bottle. You know, I'm not saying, you, right. listen, you can still... Here's the other thing. There's a repertoire of brands that we all drink, right? No one only drinks Rosé. I mean, Whisper and Angel. Nobody only drinks LS. So just add us into that rotation, that repertoire. It all helps. One bottle helps. One purchase helps. And I think we as people of color around the world need to understand that buying power. Because when you're spending a trillion dollars potentially on wine, in my case, and you're giving 0.0002% of that to quality minority afternoon wine brands, you're doing a disservice. So you've been in industry longer than me. Have you witnessed systemic racism in terms of the reason why, first of all, the state of the liquor business is that way? Because not too long ago, I was at WSWA. For the people that don't know, WSWA is one of those conventions that, you know, you know, you heard about it yeah. and, you know, and stuff. And people go there and it's it's an industry event and, you know, and, and again, no representation, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, and not even, not even a panel, yeah. you know, to talk about it. Or, or, or if there is, I mean, for me, I've never seen one. I've never heard of one, you know? I wasn't invited. Right. You weren't invited, <laughs> you know? Like, you know, it's more of a, the boys club, you yeah. know? I mean... And, it all stems back from prohibition, quite honestly. I mean, prohibition, they controlled prohibition. Uh, and then once the distributorships came out of that, they were still controlled by the same uh, people that were running prohibition. And for so long, when they did hire people of color in the wine and spirits business, we were specifically hired to sell to our consumer base, very much like every other uh, business. Um, I think it's only gotten worse, in my opinion, because even when they hire people of color now, it's you have to work on this brand because that's what black people drink. I mean, at least that was my experience and what I saw. And it's very, it's very difficult. Um, and, and then listen, everybody has biases. Um, but I think when you work in the spirits industry, I think those biases become far more entrenched, which can lead to racism in my experience. Um, you know, working at a company like Moa Hennessy that had Hennessy as a lead brand, the things that I would see or hear as it related to how this brand was marketed and sold sometimes can be seen as very offensive, especially on the other side of the board where you saw Dunk Rayon Krug and Booksy Co. And we were never ever uh, included in those conversations for those brands. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to your point, there, there's a bit of systemic racism. There's also um, the issue of these are a lot of these times these brands are owned by European 
companies um, where they may not necessarily have that intrinsic racism in the brands, but when they hire their U.S. outposts of these companies, they bring along their American biases, which then dictate the way the brand is then foreseen uh, forever, um, so to speak. You know, a lot of times cognac is cognac. For Hennessy specifically, Asians drink cognac, Latin Americans drink cognac, but they would hire personnel in the United States who it was a black brand and that's the only box they would let it uh, live in. So yeah, I mean, there is a bit of systemic racism. There's also cultural biases. Um, it, it's, it's really hard to explain. You really have to be able to see it. As you said, you go to these conventions, you're one of maybe five or 10, and then the people they do hire in these positions are really only there as quote unquote figureheads a lot of times to run the multicultural division or to work on the multicultural brand um, so you never really get the whole gamut of the wine and spirits industry if you're pigeon held into those brands that only fit your quote unquote target consumer. Right, right, right. So let, uh, talk to me about um, um, uh, your thought process behind uh, your brand La Fête Rosé and basically um, where, like, where you make it, how you make it, and why. So what do people can expect when they can order uh, the product because it is available online. Yeah. Uh, the same thing with LS, and you are in, uh, you told me you are in various markets, like in brick and mortars, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so why don't you first off tell us, you know, the process of making a bottle of La Fête Rosé, and, uh, and after that, you can tell us, uh, you know, where, where you're located and where are the challenges with, with all of those markets? Yeah, so it's, it's produced uh, in the south of France, in Provence, in Cote de Provence, by one of the largest and oldest wineries there in the peninsula. Um, so it takes about probably eight months or so to make a bottle of Lafette. Well, it takes a year or so for the grapes to grow and then harvest happens every year around September, October. Uh, the grapes are pressed, the juice is made. It's then fermented in a steel tank for another three to four or five months. It's bottled up and then it's shipped from France to the United States. So in all in all, it probably takes about nine, nine months of production. Uh, for me, I wanted to make sure the rosé was produced in Cote de Provence because that's the most famous region or most popular region for producing the best right. rosés in the world. So again, when you talk about this is not an inferior product, you have to go to the place that makes the very best to be taken serious. The last thing I wanted to do was come out with a rosé wine that was made in Arkansas for, for sake of, and then saying that I'm on the same level as Whisper Angel. We are made in the home of rosé, which is Cote de Provence. Um, again, it was also important to choose a winery that had an esteemed heritage uh, an esteemed way of making wine to lend the credibility as well, because when you're building a luxury brand, heritage and credibility are so important um, also in building that brand and what it's all about. So those are the things that drew me to the winery. And for Rosé, it was just something that I always loved. And whenever I traveled to France or the south of France or Paris, it's an everyday drink uh, in those cultures. It's not you know, because it's summertime or because it's, you know, Whispering Angel or any other brand. It's just a part of the repertoire. Um, and I fell in love with that, which is why when I met the gentleman who owned the winery, it was something that drew me to him instantly and why we struck up this business partnership that we have now. Perfect, perfect. So, just, like, it's funny because I, I can see ourselves in there also because we partnered with one of the biggest cream makers of the world mm -hmm. the, for the same reasons why we didn't want to play with milk, right? right. So, so, you know, it's a... Uh, it's more straightforward with milk in terms of the process, but at the end of the day, it's milk. You don't want it to spoil. You yeah. don't want it like, you know, like, it's, you know, some people are like, oh man, your bottle is really slick because it's all black and it, yeah, it's, it's all, it, you, you want a product, you want to protect, you want to uh, protect what's inside, you know, yeah, so, so that, that, that's the thing. So 
again, that's that's more of the 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 inside of the behind the scenes of when all the tests that you need to go through mm -hmm. to be able to uh, be approved by the TTB. Yeah. And you know that that's why I keep telling people like um, this process takes the same amount of time whether you're LeBron James. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're your normal guy like us, you know, just trying to make it, yeah. you know, with, with, with our friends, you know. So that's so that's so that's I like that. I like the the fact that it's fair like that, you know. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think of you know, in my uh, sense of arrogance or naive naivete, I right. uh, didn't really think about all that when I was really creating the brand. It was just something I wanted to do. I think because I was at these large corporations, there were as a department that was solely dedicated to doing that, and I didn't realize it. And then you jump out on your own and you get this laundry list of things you have to do before you even get to the process of even selling it. Um, just the labels alone, the TTB process is something that can drive a lot of people out of business. The import of life, all of those things that I had no clue about, but uh, I think that was also an advantage because I didn't have the fear of doing it. I just did it. And when every time they threw another piece of paper in front of me, I said, all right, well, you have to do it. I think if I had known, I probably <laughs> would not have done it. So it's it's a blessing <laughs> and a curse, you know. It's funny because uh, I'm from Canada, right? So uh, you know, I'm in Montreal. Of course, I travel across, and you know, I go to New York, Miami for business and stuff. And you know, we 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 watch a lot of American news. And so basically, mm -hmm. what's going to happen is uh, uh, over here we have our CNN, yep. you know, which is called LCN here. And it's 24-hour news, and basically what's going to happen in that rotation is going to be a part, let's say, if like a segment for an hour, there's going to be at least five good minutes of, of summary of what happened in the States, right? So so basically, like, one once I was uh, listening to the news, and they were talking about the government shutdown. Yeah. You know? And, and around, people around me were like, oh, my God, why are they talking about it, like, this government shutdown? What does it affect? Yeah. Well, let me tell you yeah, something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it affects me. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're still dealing with it. Our biggest markets were Los Angeles, New York, and California, which were primarily all on-premise hotels, restaurants, pools, etc. The, the shutdown happened. Our business, as it stood, was pretty much gone. We had retail stores, but it weren't big in retail. So as soon as that happened, I mean, it took me two weeks to cry it all out and get it together, but we had to quickly make the pivot uh, to direct to consumer that if we were going to survive. So to your point, like people don't realize like, yeah, the government shut down. Oh, that's no big deal. We still have a container of products sitting in France because France was shut down and not shipping anything out. So it has large ramifications uh, across the board. So, yeah, yeah no, I mean, it's just the logistics, right? I, I keep telling people the logistics in this, they have no idea. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's, and it's not to uh, tap ourselves on the shoulder and, and just, you know, it's just a question that we have this mentality that liquor is so easy to get, yeah. right? You go to the store, you take it. I've been in rooms, I've been in rooms where people, I felt, uh, so people from our community, right? People that look like us um, were not, okay. I'm going to use a word, but I don't want people to take it the wrong way, but I'm going to say the word, uh, impress, right? So what's gonna be yeah. so what's gonna happen is that there's gonna be some upcoming rapper in the room, right? And he's gonna get he's gonna get all the attention because he's the rapper. He's maybe going to be the next big thing, and right. he has all this entourage, whatever. 
in the left corner, you have a guy like me that's from Montreal, grew up, you know, like whatever you want, whatever you want to call it, like n nothing was given to him, whatever. And right now, you know, like I'm, I have this brand that I'm pushing and you feel that there's a di di uh, disconnect be because, oh, you have your liquor. Oh, okay, cool. Like it, it because the, 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 because people don't know like everything that it takes to have to say and 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 sometimes you need to make, you need to make people think earlier we were talking about the lack of representative ownership in the yeah. business like in the industry right once i asked a, a girl a question i asked her give me another black owned brand that's not Ciroc, that's not uh, jay-z owned yeah. or diddy owned yeah so she could even talk about E40. E40 yeah. has wines, he has brands like this and whatever. She could not talk about Master P. I know that Master P has brands and stuff like that. That just proves yeah. that even for them, there's a lack in terms of, and, and I know that they're still making money with their brands. Yeah. Like it's, it's not an issue because at the end of the day, if you put it into stores and you, and you, and you let people know, like some people are going to buy it. It's yeah. the same thing for LS. We sold about 3,000 cases up to date. Wow. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been up and down because our orders have not been, um, it's been hard, like, because we've been sold out and then we had to refill it, a yeah. bunch of stuff. But, <laughs> I know, trust me. And, and, you know, so it was just, but that's why I keep telling people, like, when you don't have distribution yeah. and you work for yourself and you sold 3,000 cases of Great. your product, Huge. You're supposed to be looked at a certain way, but it doesn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't. You well, know, it doesn't. So you see your reaction. You're somebody that was in the business. Yeah. And I told you the amount of cases that we sold. And your first reflex is that, okay, so, yeah, there's something there. Yeah. You know? But it's so hard to let people know and whatever. We know because we have the love of the people. We know that we sold we sold 100 cases off of online. Yeah. You know? We, we know we did that. We know it's something because people don't buy liquor online. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, so, but again, it's just that, well, it's you, just that you know, getting it's funny that information out. I, I had this conversation a lot lately. I think, you know, a lot of times we talk about supporting black business and, and there's a segment of the consumer. And what we really should say is people want to support black celebrities. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so that's been one of the eye-opening things for me because I really did start this brand. Well, one to be inclusive, but more for people of color that people support black celebrities. Uh, so it's been hard. Well, it was hard, especially prior to COVID, for me to even to break through, and even now to break through. Um, There's so many other brands that are owned by celebrities and athletes that are out there promoting that you know I tend to still get lost uh, in in the shuffle of it all. Um, so it, it's it's very interesting. So if anything, I think. We have to stop our love affair with just celebrity. That's not all of black business. Yes, it's great to have a celebrity endorser. I mean, my God, if I could have somebody like Rihanna today, I'd take her. But that's not what I would want the brand to be solely based off of. Um, so in terms of support from our people, I think a lot of times they tend to just go the easier route and say, oh, that's Jay-Z's cognac or that's Diddy's vodka. And they forget there's so many other brands. Um, down the line i mean but you know we all love celebrity everybody in the world loves celebrity but i think we have to stop confusing the two of saying support black business when it's really supporting the celebrity but you're you're not fair you're not talking openly 
Donnie, you're not talking openly. Because you had... <laughs> you had anything close to a celebrity endorsement. Talk to us about that. You were lucky enough to talk with Melo on the live, talking with La Fête Rosé, which was a good move, big move. Yeah. Um, and he, he seemed to love it. So um, talk to us about how this all happened to be able to talk with Carmelo Anthony, which, which for people that don't know, is a huge wine aficionado. Yeah. A huge wine. Yeah. So talk to us about how this all came to fruition. I mean, honestly, like I said, when, when COVID struck, struck and then everything started shutting down and he started doing a wine podcast and D-Wade started doing one, and everyone was just jumping on Instagram Live to figure out what was going to be their way to continue to engage with their fans and take up some time, et cetera. I literally just started emailing people, cold emails to a gamut of people on all different types of shows. And I have to say that his team was the only team that responded out of every celebrity Whoa. that I reached out to. So for him, for me, I, I gained so much more respect for him, but not only his team, because his team member responded and she immediately said, I'm taking this to Melo. Uh, let us discuss and get back to you. Where so many other ones were like, oh, we already have our lineup planned. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, dude, we're going to be on lockdown for the next six, nine weeks. This is week two. And you're telling me you already have your entire schedule planned out and <laughs> you can't find any way to talk to me about wine, which was, and listen, you don't have to do anything. But for Melo, when I emailed uh, Asana, shout out Asana for responding. She took it to Melo. Um, he said, yes, let's look at this date. We sent some bottles out to him to make sure he liked it. And then what you saw in the interview was just an open, candid conversation. We had never talked Amazing. prior to that. Amazing. So that was just out. And, and listen, we're both from Baltimore, so we had a little bit of that. But again, it was just a open candid conversation first time talking and i'm forever thankful for him for even thinking of supporting uh small business and small business especially mine that's that's really like i i listened to that interview and it was really i like the i like the fact that Melo felt the responsibility to uh, support this in a sense you know Absolutely. like he was talking about uh black ownership a little bit also and 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 I, I loved it. And basically, like, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you saw, you saw a huge push in yeah. yourselves just because of that. Yeah. So that, that endorsement, and that's what I like. It's, it's genuine. It's yeah. an, a genuine endorsement. Like, okay, you send product, but it was not, it was just, you know, it's just genuine. And for that, it's, it's funny because I want to jump on something else. It seems that celebrities are starting to realize the... Uh, the power that they have in terms of like, listen, we it doesn't always need to be a cash compensation. Like, you can you can help us get to where we want to go by doing sim a, a live, simply a live, and simply hey, if you didn't like it, don't do the live exactly. with me. If you like it, do it. Exactly. You know, and that's it. And of course, like, listen, everybody needs to get paid. Yeah, sure. everybody needs to get paid. That's for sure. But when you have a hundred million dollars yeah. already in your bank account, maybe, just maybe, that's just me, maybe you can help the little guys and that's what Melo did sure. and big shout out to him because that was amazing. Yeah, and then sometimes you just take, listen, if you, it, it, we're not LVMH, we're not the Diageos of the world. So if, if, if somebody's paying you $20,000 for a post, I don't think it's fair to turn around to a small company like ours and say, oh, I'm getting $20,000 a post. Well, yeah, you may be getting $20,000 a post, but that company has $5 billion. So maybe you charge me $2,000 a post or $5,000. I, I would never say give it to us for free. We can give you something, but you can't compare us to the Diageos, et cetera, of the world. But there's also a sense of obligation because you then can't turn around 
and start taking these protests and say, oh, they have no black people in their ads. Well, you had a company here that was doing something similar that you wouldn't even give a, a one second shine to. You could put it on your Instagram for five hours and delete it. And that could be that lift that the brand like ours needs. Um, so, you know, it's just a lot of negotiation. I think a lot of times they put people around them that all they see is dollar signs and there's added benefit. You could come to me and say, hey, I, I want to be a silent partner and help you grow it. And maybe there's some sort of, you know, sweat equity per, part in the brand that you do X and get to this, and get this. I mean, those are all conversations we need to start having as black celebrities with black brands versus just making it about a one-time monetary payment. I do understand we all have bills to, to pay and everybody wants to eat, but I mean, my God, you can't look at me and say, Hennessy gave me $10 for a post and then tell me you want the same amount. I, I just don't think that's, uh, that's fair, especially with our community, because I've, ironically, I've seen on the other side, and, and I hate to say it, where I've come across general market celebrities or, or people of power in the general market community, and they've just done it. You send them a bottle and they just put it up and they just do it. But it comes to our community a lot of times. It's like a fight and a struggle and a bag and a plea. It's just like, you'll sit on Instagram and open 50 packages from somebody all day long. I send you one package, it never gets opened, it never gets posted. Yep. So it's kind of like, you know, what do you do in that situation? But hopefully those conversations will, will change with us speaking out more, but it's hard, it's hard. Yeah, so I think that our job is to keep pushing and to um, understand that we want to work with the people that want actually want to work with us, yep. you know? And, and, and I keep telling this to people around me, like, uh, like I don't care. Like, if that person does, doesn't have the decency, I sent you bottles, and doesn't have the decency to call me back to tell me, either text me to tell me that you received it, you know? And I'm talking about, I'm not only talking about celebrities or influencers or whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm talking about potential partners, yep. uh, you know, and stuff like that. Like, we had a conversation, we're, we're, we're trying to build something and whatever. And I sent you bottles and like, you, 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 no, you're not going to text. Yeah. There's nothing that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, as if like, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, no, I, I understand. And, and that's the thing, because sometimes we're the little guys, we keep referring ourselves at the, as the little guys. Yeah. So sometimes it, we don't think like it, but we act like it as if we're, we're not worth it. Yeah. You know? No, I'm sorry. My product is as much worth it as any, anyone else. Yeah, for sure. You know? But for sure. It's... You know, like it's as if saying that, oh, yeah, because I'm not a millionaire, because I'm not a billionaire, I'm not somebody. No, you're still somebody. Yeah. Your, your voice count, counts, 100%. you know. So and in this industry, and that's what that's what it is, because me talking to distributors and I want to get into distributors with you yeah. also me talking to distributors. That's what I was telling them. I was telling them, listen, when you're having LS cream on your portfolio, you're adding to your portfolio. You're yeah. not taking against nobody because I'm bringing other people to the table, you know. Over here in Quebec, that's what happened with the ACQ, right? Yep. Because all our orders, um, uh, all our orders that were sold out, that's what they saw. Yeah. They saw that the cream category as a whole went up. Yeah. It didn't stay flat. It didn't go down. It went up. Yeah. Why? Because we added to the category. So basically, people that were not going to that category, they're going now because we're talking to them. We're serving something. So of course, we have this idea of of tastes like cremas, so therefore there's going to be somebody that was drinking that before that's going to say, okay, let me go try LS cream. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a normal reaction. But even getting that to them, like when, when we got into the ACQ, we got in by luck, yeah. strictly by luck, yeah. because you, did you try to deal with the I, I, I deal with of, of distributors in the States to be dealing with the Canadian <laughs> board right now. 
<laughs> it was, we reached out to them. So we're from here. We reached out to them and they were like, no, nah, get out of here with your cream. You know, like, like we don't need you. They don't. They, and that's the other thing also. They actually don't need you. Right. right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And, and basically, yeah. And basically what happened is that they saw that we were making some strides in the States. And then there was an article that came out in a big newspaper here in Montreal, in Quebec, actually, uh, called La Presse. And basically, that's how they work. Media. Yeah. And yeah. then people, people were sending emails. Oh, my God. When, when are you going to have that on your shelf and whatever? And they actually reached out to us. Well, it awesome. never happens. It never happens. To go through them, you need to go to Tinder calls and whatever, yeah. like, uh, you know, and stuff like that. And, oh, we were looking for a white wine, 1996, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> white bottle. And, and, you know, so, so yeah, so we were really lucky. But I want to get into the distributor aspect with you. So uh, you had those prior contacts, getting, having, you know, some contacts in the industry. But it was still hard for you to get distribution. So talk to us about the points that you were able. Um, what did the distributor like about La Fête Rosé that where they were able to take you on? You know. Oh, can you hear me, Donald? I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. No, I was saying. Uh, talk to us about your relationship with your distributors and and how you were able to show them that La Fête Rosé was going to bring them something else. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I did a multi-pronged approach when it came to distributors. Initially, uh, in Florida, uh, in New York City, I launched with a, so to speak, like a importer slash distributor. They're really an importer, but they had the ability to sell uh, direct to accounts. So I went with them for one reason. One, they didn't take any real margin they had no sales force, uh, so all the ownership was on me. But at the same time, they, they allowed me to do proof of concept. Yep. Uh, where a lot of times when you're going to these big boy distributor houses, they want proof of concept or sales history, et cetera. So I didn't even start there. Uh, but then in Georgia, uh, I went to a distributor I had worked with in my previous life at Moet Hennessy. And because he saw the work that I did when we launched Moet Nectar Imperial Rose um, here in the city, he said, listen, I know what you can do. I believe in you, you have relationships. So part of it was relationship-based. And then the other part, like I said, with uh, Park Street was just getting out there and beating the street ourselves, using my personal relationships, having them do the back of the house, the delivery, warehousing, et cetera, and getting attention just like you did with uh, the LCBO. We did the same thing in certain states where we built enough groundswell and garnered enough uh, high image accounts that the distributors came knocking and said, who is this brand and how are they doing what they, do or what they are doing and how do we add them into the portfolio to really take that percentage of the money. So it wasn't just sitting out there uh, on the table. But overall, distributors are tough, and especially now that they begin to consolidate and get bigger and bigger, uh, they're not really taking on small new brands. So you're seeing a lot of web-based distributors, et cetera. Um, but even then, a lot of them still just order takers. So the onus is on yeah. you as an individual brand owner and your yeah. team to yeah. really build the brand out there in the marketplace. But I, I mean, I hold Harley could not have done what we have done to this date without the relationships, primarily in Miami. Um, those guys in that city, you know, as much as it, it, it's an international destination, it's still very much in a small town. And when you're a part of that community in that city, they support. So I am very thankful for all of those guys down there because they knew me from previous jobs. We sat down, we talked, and, and they said all said the same thing. If it doesn't sell, we'll take it off the list, but we'll give you a shot. And so often, 
accounts and distributors won't even do that. And that's all it really takes is for you to give me that shot. And then the onus yeah. is on me to build my brand and to make consumers want to buy it. Uh, so they got that down there. Georgia was a relationship-based thing. But then there's other distributors in other cities that told me that there was no need for another rosé or black people don't drink rosé. And, you know, so that's when you pull out the numbers and the hard facts and the data and you show them and say, listen, you know, this is the percentage of multicultural consumers are drinking wine, whether it be African-American, Hispanic, this is how the spending dollar is. And quite honestly, the highest proportion of minority people, minority individuals with wealth overlaid almost exactly to the top selling rosé markets in the country. So you have to assume with that, that a portion of those rosé sales in those top selling markets, California, Texas, Florida, New York City, Washington, D.C., Illinois, are of people of color uh, base. But, and, and then for me, I, I never even only wanted it to be for for people of color, it should be for everybody. But I knew yeah. who my core consumer would be and who it is. Right. Um, and, and 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 when people say, "Oh, but you're only sold in 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 you know Nobu in Miami," but we all like luxury. So why do I have to be a black brand that's only in uh, a small you know minority account? I can be everywhere yeah. and still service the consumer. We all go to these places. This is not 1960 Jim Crow where there's lines yeah. and you can't cross after 6 p.m. So. <laughs> For sure, for sure. But I think I think that's the thing, right? It's uh, we want to cater to our community because we want the support. But at the end of the day, the brand is made for everyone. Absolutely. So it's uh, it's I, I don't believe that because I, I, I like it's the same thing. Like the way I see it is they, they're going to give that argument when it serves them well to tell you no. Oh, yeah. But when you look at TikTok, when you look at Instagram, when you look at all those social media platforms, what's bumping? Yeah. It's the culture of hip hop. Exactly. You know? So 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 the culture of hip hop has no color. We right. all know where it started. We all know who like who helped elevate it, but at the end of the day, we are the result of that culture. Yeah. You know? It's really about like mindedness, and that's something we've started to speak more about too, is that it's not necessarily when we say, you know, the culture is not black people, it's not brown people, it's like mindedness. Like Everything's becoming, you know, skewed. We're all liking the same type of music, fashion, et cetera. And I think that's the message that we have to continue to drive home. And we have to teach these liquor guys because they don't understand that. To them, that's a foreign concept. They're like, what do you mean? But it's the truth. Like, it's your kids are listening to, you know, hip-hop music. You, you, just because Post Malone is white, it's still a form of hip-hop music. So it really is about culture and getting them to understand that culture is driving conversations and brands um, in the liquor space. I think other brands or other industries have figured that out, whether it be luxury fashion with collaborations with Virgil Abloh, et cetera. I think hotels, when you go into the lobbies of these hotels and restaurants, you're hearing hip hop music now and you know restaurants you never would have thought 10 years ago you were here, that sort of thing. So I think now as an industry, we have to get the people in control of it for now, distributors, et cetera, to understand that appreciating the culture is a way to grow your business. It, it just is. Yeah, I think yeah, that's that's where we are also, and uh, I think it's uh, it's an it's something in the making. But uh, um, my idea was to, um, I want to I want to know how, n not to know how, but I want us to have our own distribution company. Yeah. And and I want it to be black owned. I want it to have like majority black owned products. And I want us to have some pool, like the same way that, you know, there's the Rooney Rule yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. So for the people that don't know, the Rooney Rule is basically, well, there needs to be this amount of uh, coaches of minority within the teams. Yeah. 
point blank, you know? So, so I think that if a private company like the NFL, the multi-billion company like the NFL sees the benefit because, I mean, to some point, it, it seemed like it for, for a long time, right? So the players are going to be black and then the coaching staff, the coaching staff are going to be white and then the ownership is going to be white also. So it, it looked like a slave ship, like, like working, you yeah. know, and, 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 uh, around. So they had to figure out a way to say, listen, like, we're, we're gradually, we're going to do this. And, 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 and I like that, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't want nothing to be like, I don't want nothing to be given to me sure. <laughs> just because I'm black, but yeah, it, it listen, like I, I, I've been telling people like, Appleton has been there for like 1898, yeah. you know, like it, it's not fair, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and it's crazy too, because I think also the liquor industry or the laws of the government of, of liquor laws are so antiquated that they can't even, you know, it's like, it's insane. Like, <laughs> like to even get things done a lot of times, just the laws, what they do, it, it, it makes it so difficult. For instance, I've reached out, I went to the minority supplier conference here and met with every minority supplier person from a big box retail and because they only work with certain distributors or they will only work with three or four big distributors you're once again boxed out so it's those laws that need to change within themselves so you and i can go start a distributorship that can then you know service these big box retailers that can then service the, the minority owned brands it's the whole thing is just antiquated and what i'm hoping is because of covid um you've seen that you know direct consumer is starting to bypass that three-tier distributor network they would begin to uh, evolve and create some other lanes of opportunity because it, as it stands now that entire three-tier liquor system needs to be blown up and start to start over from scratch yeah i see uh like uh there's uh, my friend rudy in the comments he said that uh boston and yeah <laughs> we, we... yeah <laughs> We're not in Boston for how, that reason. <laughs> how, how, yeah, guys, if you, if you hear us, like, please can, like, I have emails dating from 2015 for people requesting the product in Boston. Yeah. I, at least for now, we can ship it. We can ship it online. Yeah. You know, we can ship it online, but it, it, it's crazy. There's like, what, there's three major distributors in, in, in Massachusetts yeah. and they're all family owned. Yeah. It's funny, nope. I reached out to them. We were heading up to Martha's Vineyard to do a big event last year. So we reached out and said, hey, listen, we have, we know in Martha's Vineyard, in the summertime, there's a large population of African-Americans. They drink wine. They have a lot of money. They want our product there so they can buy it on the island. It had to be like May 1st. He told me, you've already missed the season. I'm, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, season's over with. It's too late. I'm like, so you're telling me that there's no way we can work together, get a pallet to the island, see how it does. I knew it would have sold out by June, mid-June. He's like, nope, you missed the season too late. And, and it's just laws like that. They talk about capitalism, but that's not capitalism. That's the mafia. Like someone said, Thomas, that's legitimately <laughs> the mafia. Capitalism is to give everybody a fair shot. But if I can't even get my product to a location because the decision of three or four old men and what they think and perceive, then that's not really capitalism. I mean, it's all gonna it's all gonna catch up to them because uh, eventually the tide is gonna turn. Like I was uh, talking to somebody about uh, Ramchata and bring respect to Ramchata, but um, um, I don't want to call them out. But I'm sorry, they're they're basically to me, it's it's uh, it's um, uh, what what's it called the uh, cultural appropriation. Yeah, you know, 
because it's it's a brand that's fabricated over the over the 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 the, the history of an uh, Hispanic drink, right? You know, and 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 to my knowledge, there is no Hispanic in the ownership, right? <laughs> you know, and, and this is to my knowledge, and yeah. people can go and look it up, you know. And to me, I think that eventually people are gonna find are gonna find out because right now people are like like liquor is like because now we're offend we're offended and rightly so with. Uh, Police brutality, yeah. equal equal rights in terms of like uh, um, pay and stuff like that. That's normal because that's that's you know that's that's the core of it, yeah. right? That's life and death. It's money. It's a family and stuff like that. But eventually, it's gonna trickle down. It's gonna trickle down into a couple of stuff where uh, labels, you know, music labels. I mean, music labels are antiquated right yeah. now, but uh, in a sense. But you know, like why why should why should you have all the rights to my music? Why? And, and it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I think we did a great job, and when I say that, I mean the culture in the 90s of making these record labels sign strategic distribution deals with us where they got, you know, small percentages to distribute our music or the music that was being made at the time, whether it be, you know, a Bad Boy, Rockefeller, et cetera. And I think it's time for that same thing to happen in the liquor industry. Um, you know, I think we need to start supporting our brands to the point that these Diageos, et cetera, have to come to us and say, hey, we need to get this brand. We just want to help you. We want to distribute it. We'll take X amount of percentage. Because when I worked at LVMH, I saw that same thing with Grand Marnier. They had a strategic partnership. They didn't own Grand Marnier. The Grand Marnier family still owned it, but they were their distribution network and took a small yep. percentage of the, uh, the uh, proceeds around the world. Yep. And, and we need to start having those conversations as well. We can't simply allow them to give us licensee deals where they put our celebrities face on the brand and we can't simply yep. let them take over the category because for me what's interesting is when i started the buffet i kept saying people of color are not represented in the rose category you don't see them in the ads you don't see them in creative so since we started yelling at from the rooftops over a year ago you're now starting to see brands like miraval and whispering angel doing events with people of color for six or seven years they had no intention of ever doing so but now that they're being called to the table, they're doing something. Let's not let them get away with that. Mm -hmm. One or two mm -hmm. things. You only drink Lafette and post Lafette or whatever, or you go to them and say, hey, we have this other wine that you can certainly add into your portfolio. You know, make them start doing the business move and come over and help that brand grow as well. It's, it's just so many different ways, I think, as we begin to put the pressure on, on the wine and spirits industry to make them evolve and, and, and help. Yeah. And I see somebody in the comments, they're saying, um, uh, wine her, she's saying, so how do you find success in an industry that works to keep you out? Well, I think it's simple. It's, I mean, right now we're lucky. Um, I don't even see how I could have done what I've done with LS if I didn't have social media. 100%. Uh, now we have social media. Right now we're talking. Right now you're looking at two black CEOs, founders of their own liquor. They don't lease the brand. Nobody came to us, recreated this. This is our minds. This is when we go to sleep. The, all the strategies that we talk, that we think about and whatever. And right now we're here. Yeah. So right now you're supposed to go online. You're supposed to go get a, get a bottle. And then we'll discuss if you like it, if you don't, what you would do better and so forth. Because we know that people like to have their, their thought heard. But for now, it's just a question of spreading the dollars. Yeah. So or even spreading the words. Post a picture of it. Yeah. Like that picture. Yeah. Exactly. Be because you vote. You go ahead. Go ahead, Don. No, I was going to say like we are we are the largest consumers of social media at this time right now, and what we've done in the beauty industry for people of color 
whether it be yeah. moisture, whether it be honey pot, <laughs> whether it be yeah. Scotch Porter. Let, let's, let's take that same power and bring it to the wine and spirits industry uh, as well. And it, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be all of us. Like you can line up every black brand together, even if the same category, the same type, it, it, it works. And, and I think yeah. that we need to understand that. I mean, there was a statistic that came out that said that the fastest growing consumer segment for veganism is black people. And that's from social media. Yeah. So let's do the yeah. same thing in the wine and spirits industry. So to, to the person that asked the question is like, become active, like raise your profile, like go to these events and kick down the door. For me, when I saw um, Uncorked, I've been in that situation where I'm the only black person at a wine of champagne tasting. Continue to show up, uh, continue to let them know we are present. And then continue to, when you're in those rooms, to talk about the brands that people of color own or say, what are you doing to help people of color? Because a lot of times people are afraid to ask those questions when you get these jobs and you're in front yeah. of these certain rooms. Sure. And you can't do that. You can't cower and lower yourself because the room rise to the occasion, but still be respectful in how you do it, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, it's, it's just a question of understanding that uh, we vote with our dollars and that's that's what they're gonna respect. They're gonna respect the green. They're yeah. gonna respect our dollars. So, so, so that's what we need to do to, to change the behavior. And also, you know, like call them out, yeah. you know, C call them out. Like if, if, if you work, if you have some type of blog, you know, like I listened to a guy, um, it's, it's going to seem weird, but I'm a big video game fan. Okay. And I, I listened to a podcast and this guy used to be an ex journalist and he does an editorial every week podcast out. And the thing he calls out, of course, he's, he's Caucasian, yeah. he's white. So the things he calls out. Or, or abuse of uh, abuse of government funding that people are not aware. So, for example, he was talking about uh, AT and T or some type of other company, and uh, uh, that was basically getting government funding that they don't need it. Okay, they were supposed to use that money for infrastructure because what happened is that this guy he lives in a building right with multiple units. And what he realized that because of COVID, his internet is really slow. Yeah. And he's paying for the, the premium internet, but it, it doesn't seem to go. So basically, there was all that thing that he realized that uh, basically all those companies, the uh, uh, telecommunication companies, were supposed to invest in infrastructure, but redirected the money so that it can go into their pockets, yeah. basically, into other things, you know? And basically, he did his job on a little small podcast about video games and he called them out, yeah. you know, with, with detailed reporting, we should do the same yeah. thing. Like right now what's going on in this industry, like, like for real, if you go into Total Wines, Donnelly, don't tell me it wouldn't work. Imagine you go to Total Wines today and there's a section black owned. Yeah. Oh, it would do very well. But here's the thing, even if you get the section right, I think we also need to start telling the consumer how it works. I got authorized in Total Wine. I had five weeks to show proof of concept. Five yep. weeks. If you don't go in and buy when those brands or these brands come on and say, hey, we're now in Target, we're now Whole Foods, we're in Total Wine. If you don't do it initially, it, there's no second chance. And I think we need to yeah. understand that as well. It's like the same way we'll run out and go buy other stuff with Jordan, et cetera, when it comes out. If I say I just got into Whole Foods in New York, I got five weeks. Five weeks yeah. to show sales yeah. uh, or, or it doesn't happen. So in addition to those sections, yes, I, I, I'm wholeheartedly believe those are important. We also need to understand the urgency 
of when to do it. Like we don't need it to be two years later after X celebrity said this is the hot shit. Yeah. We should go out and try to support initially out the gate. Yeah, but I think I think at the same time also like um, um, what we do when uh, like uh, for example like uh, uh, ally for you is that new relationship relationship you have with Mellow. You know, for example, sometimes when you bring those guys like you bring that their attention to to them in a simple email. Yeah. You know, in a simple email, you say, "Listen, this is what we're dealing with. We think it's unfair. Like we're we're spending our dollars. Like this is really important, people. Like." African Americans are the people that spend the most in the spirits and wine industry. Yeah. Like, like you said in the beginning of, of, of this conversation, like the biggest states that that uh, sell the most the most spirits are Illinois, New York, uh, I guess the tri-state area, yeah, I guess California, uh, Texas, Florida, yeah, Texas, Georgia, Florida, and California, and all those states have one thing in common: yeah. they have the most dense African American population. Absolutely, you know, so. Again, I think I think it's like we need to make them respect our dollar and respect the fact that we're making them rich and then they're not giving back to the community. Yeah. You know? And it's not because we're racist, it's not it has nothing to do like I, I suggest for people that that want a reason to be frustrated about the state of, of business in a whole, because don't get it don't get us wrong. There's a lot of things that change and a lot of positive that's happening all around. Yeah. Whatever it be Uh, whether it be rappers that are making it big, athletes that are making it big, and businessmen that are making it big, that's fine. Kudos, hat to you. But there's still a lot of fixing to do. Yeah, like, sure. till this day, we should have a, our own dealership. Yeah. We should have our own dealership. We should have our, our own cars and that, that are black-owned. So that way you don't buy a BMW or a VW, uh, a Volkswagen, sorry, and then wonder about the history about yeah. all the racist people that were behind those brands and back in back in, in germany back in the, back in the days you know so always think about that every time you're buying a bmw while you might be simply um helping uh some kind of legitimate white business yeah. that have a succession issue if you didn't watch the show succession yeah. <laughs> if you want to be frustrated watch the first episode episode of the hbo show succession yeah. That first episode, I showed it to my wife Donahue uh, uh, this week. She 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 said, "Okay, that's enough for me." Yeah. <laughs> But it's true. I mean, I think the larger point you're touching on is very much is the generational wealth thing. Like we have to start yeah. creating generational wealth uh, for our yeah. communities in order to break a lot of these cycles and, and et cetera, et cetera. So we need to do just like you said and help companies become big enough to create generational wealth and teach that. Uh, amongst yeah. our culture, and I think we, we we're starting to. Uh, we can definitely do a better job of helping to create generational wealth. I mean, because it does pay off. I mean, look at what uh, Robert Smith did last year, and he paid off all the student debt at Morehouse. And then the young yeah. another yeah. gentleman just did it last weekend at Spelman. That's because they were able to create generational wealth to then in turn give back and give people of color in our communities a head start in life. And I think that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I see Weiner, she's saying uh, that's a small window referring to the five weeks at Total Wines. Yeah. I mean, I, I just I got into Total Wines uh, first week of March. Yeah. Couldn't do no tastings. Once I got to Florida, <laughs> COVID struck. Like, I, I COVID struck. <laughs> I had this whole plan. Yeah. This, all, all this plan. COVID struck in the middle of my, my uh, the first week I, I got into Florida. My wife was telling me, and I was like, no, everything is great. Everything is great. Two days later, yeah. boom, 
Yeah. COVID happened, so I'm hoping my window is still open because yeah. <laughs> uh, no tastings were done on my part. Like it was. Uh... <laughs> I think I think you were, I think we're all getting a little more leniency now, but I mean, again, I mean, I had I had conversations with people that were ready, ready to bring us in in Texas, etc. And then COVID struck, and it's like no new products, uh, no, no new no new listings right now. We're only going with the tried and true. So again, when you see me pushing harder on online. It has twofold. Yes, I want you to buy my product and support, but it also is showing proof of concept to these big corporations that they're missing out yeah. on dollars by saying no yeah. new products right now. Yeah. Anyways, it's a, it's a, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing. But what, one thing for sure, people can see the passion in our voice. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> we, we we love the process, and that's the reason why uh, a lot of people gravitate towards us. And I think it's uh, I think it's amazing to see. What you're doing? Well, thanks, thank um, you, so why don't you show uh, the people on my feed your bottle, and I can show the people on your feed my bottle. Well, see, I've been drinking, so my bottle is partially open. <laughs> <But> <laughs> there it is. Mine, mine is black. Mine is black, so you don't know. <laughs> so, guys, listen, uh, Donna. I think we're us. We're gonna talk yes. more. Let's plan on that. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So uh, definitely, uh, we're gonna touch base. I, I, I think, uh, I think this is a good. I think this is a good thing. I, I like talking to people that are are in the same headspace yeah. uh, than us, and they understand the the business we're in, and and uh, and we understand how we can help each other. Absolutely. And yeah, basically, guys, like Miriam just said, the bridge, yeah, basically, yeah. Building that bridge, you know. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so basically, thank you again for doing this. Um, I'm going to be able to put this in a podcast form, so I'll, I'll be able to share it with you and so forth. Uh, we did the first episode uh, yesterday. We launched it yesterday. Nice. So Spotify, YouTube, just putting the word out there. Yeah. It's new. Uh, we're using the LS Clean platform to push it. But uh, once everything is done, I'll, I'll send you the links and everything. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much for joining, so, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And uh, let's definitely stay in contact and continue to build this great corporation together. Yes, let's do this. So thank you, guys. And we'll be, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much.